everyone, and welcome to the 29th episode of the Cross Border Interview Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Brown, award-winning journalist. Not to toot my own horn, but I guess I just did. Since the launch of the podcast, I've been asked the exact same thing. Why are you doing this? And I give everyone the exact same answer. Might be a different word or two, but it's the exact same answer. This podcast is about talking to people in an intimate setting and just having a discussion. Today, we often find ourselves becoming keyboard warriors and have forgotten the lost art of having a conversation. So with that in mind, in mid-2019, I started this podcast to achieve one goal, get people talking again. With no notes, no questions, I sit down with the subject to learn about them from them. And today's guest is no exception to that. Today, I sit down with the former MLA for Calgary Glenmore, Linda Johnson. Linda's path to elected politics is fascinating. From working as a volunteer in the 1979 federal election to running herself in the 2012 election in Alberta, Linda's path has brought her to the heart of federal and provincial politics here in Calgary. We talk about her time in Ottawa, her work for the PCAA, and her time in the Alberta legislature. And we also talk about that nail-biter of an election in 2015. So here now is Cross-Border Interviews featuring Linda Johnson. Usually I would ask, I would, I would offer my guest a coffee before we start it, but with the whole social distancing, we, we will virtual coffee, virtual water. <laughs> Cheers. This is believe on it. <laughs> Mine's is an Avengers cup that my husband bought <laughs> when he went to the movies last time. That's nice. Um, so before we get into everything, I, I've got to ask, how are you doing through this whole COVID-19 pandemic? Well, it's been interesting for me because um, my last day of work by choice was March 20th. So I had planned on taking time off in April okay, uh, to stay home and get caught up on projects. So I am I think this week I'm really feeling it because I'm ready to go get out there and get things done. Yeah. And I'm home. I, I can tell you that when the doctor told me I had to stay home until they called to get another test, which hopefully will be tomorrow, yep. it the cabin fever really sunk in then. <laughs> yeah. I, for, yesterday was very tough when I heard the stampede was canceled. I, yeah. could, I was driving down the Deerfoot. My dad's 85. He lives in Airdrie. I was doing his groceries yesterday. I just sobbed all the way home between the stampede and the Calgary Folk Festival and then the other festivals that have been cancelled, you know, we won't have a Canada Day. I, and and that it, it's a whole new world that we live in. And I, uh, I, 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 I hope to see the end of the tunnel here soon, but uh, I don't know yes. when that will be because no. everyone I talk to says either June, either uh, like September, December. Who knows? Yeah. But oh my gosh. like you said, the stampede. Yeah. But the stampede being canceled, that's another blow to the city. Like it's. Well, and the thing about the stampede was so much not for profit funding came out of it. So last night, the media covered the rotary and the, the home lottery. But you think of the kinsmen. Yep. 
you know, their kinsmen lottery tickets and all of that, they did so much good. You know, you think of the kids from the Boys and Girls Club that were volunteers on the grounds. You think of how many Calgarians their first job was, oh, look, there's a puppy dog. Oh, yeah. I just, I always forget. There she is. (laughs) (laughs) Scratching her hair. But no, I I agree that um, even though it's one festival, the tentacles that the festival had in the entire city has forever changed what this this year is going to be like for many nonprofit organizations. And I completely understand. Well, and community associations used it as a way of getting their folks together yeah you didn't you didn't have to go to the grounds to be part of the stampede i can hear the fireworks from my home in southwest calgary well we just have to walk like down to the whitehorn community center and their their back lot is literally overseeing the uh like the skyline of the uh calgary downtown and you can see it so when we went last canada day we saw the fireworks downtown so now we won't (laughs) No, we won't. But hey, 2021. Let's let's That's right. let's focus on that. But we will get into this interview now. Um, <laughs> Linda, uh, my first question, but now my second question to all my guests is: Where does your sense of duty come from? Where did your sense of duty and service come from? Oh, I would say from my family on both sides. My mom's family were great community volunteers. My dad's family as well, and. Within both families, there was a lot of military service. So dad and two of three brothers served. Um, I think three uncles on my dad's side and three uncles on my mom's side also wore uniforms, left and came home, all came home except for one. And I grew up in Halifax, Dartmouth. So my first school was on a military base. and you know if you have time if you have energy you share what you what what good you have after you take care of family and then you can move out to community so is that did was that instilled upon you at a young age or was it more in your uh, teenage years that it was instilled that when you give back to your family first and then to your community Oh, that was just the way we grew up. My dad was St. John Ambulance. So uh, for Natal Day in Halifax, which is the August long weekend, um, the float was made in our driveway. Oh, wow. So you decorate it. Um, We were active at our church, so you helped. Um, My mom was always baking for whatever bake sale was going on. So it's just... I would say it's in my DNA, um, and you say yes when someone asks for help. So as a military child, did you move around a lot, or did you just move from Halifax no. to Calgary? No, we were very fortunate. My dad signed on in Ontario, and then he got transferred to Dartmouth, and so there's base Shearwater and base Stadacona, so he's he was Navy, so he was back and forth between the two bases. Okay. Um, and I didn't come to Calgary until I was through university. Oh, really? Uh, oh, yeah. So, um, you know, the events this week in Nova Scotia have been tough to watch, because that's home. And as much as I've been here for over 40 years, I still have family there. Well, so. And, and I, I am the same way. I, not 40 years, but I've been here for about eight years now in Alberta, because I moved to Lloydminster earlier like I think 2012 and I can say that um, while Alberta feels like home now I still have a special place in my heart for Ontario even though 
saying you're from Ontario in Alberta is kind of the a, a thorn in the side for some people. So I don't say it too often. Um, oh, my dad's from Windsor, so I can we can be fine. There, there we go. We, we have a mutual understanding then. Um, there we go. When did your interest in politics start? Actually, in grade school. Oh, why? What, what was the? Uh, do you remember the spark that uh, lit the fuse? Yes. <laughs> a lady by the name of Eileen Stubbs ran for school board. Okay. And at the time when um, uh, girls were not allowed to wear pants to school. So I would walk to school with my brothers and I'd have to get changed at school because in a Nova Scotia winter, you didn't wear a skirt to school as you were walking. So, you know. I'd change at school. And Eileen Stubbs, when she ran for school board, said, I'm going to change this policy. She got elected and she did. Wow. So that was, I think I was about grade five, grade six at the time. So I remember that. Um, the irony of all of this is Shannon Stubbs, the member of parliament yep. from Northern Alberta. Lakeland. Yep. I, yes. Her Eileen Stubbs is her grandmother. No way. And we didn't know that till, oh, I don't know, maybe about five years ago. So uh, we didn't realize we had this small world connection. <laughs> so Eileen Stubbs went on to be one of the first small town mayors in Canada. And she was mayor of Dartmouth for several years. First and, uh, small town female mayor? Female, small town female. Okay. Yeah, right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So that was your first introduction into politics and then I'm yeah. assuming it just grew from there did you get involved with uh, uh, provincial politics in Nova Scotia or was it more municipal school board uh, from where Eileen was standing it was really um, it was municipal and it was federal um, in municipal in that I used to babysit for an alderman <laughs> So Jack Greeno lived three doors down the street. Um, um, John Savage, the former premier of Nova Scotia, his kids and I went to the same school. So he ran for member of parliament. He got involved in politics. So it was always around me. And his uh, his son's in politics too right now, isn't he? Yes. Mike uh, Savage, right? Halifax is Mike. Yeah. Um, I went to school with she um, Sheila, his older sister. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's just, um, you know, I was brought up in the Catholic Church, went to a Jesuit university. You're called on to serve. Did you ever think you would ever enter politics at that age? No, no. It wasn't a calling for you? It was just something that you were interested in? It was my hobby. And then when I moved to Calgary, I moved during the 1979 federal election. Okay. Didn't know a soul. Um, my dad was transferred um, by Mobile Oil. They said, we'll move the family out. So I graduated on Monday from St. Mary's and the following week moved to, to Calgary and found Harvey Andre's campaign headquarters in my first 10 days in Alberta. And the rest basically is history. So you literally just walked, like, did you walk into the campaign office and say, I'm here to help. I just moved. What do you want yes. me to do? Yes. <laughs> wow. And what was your job in that campaign, if you don't mind me asking? Um, I was probably stuffing envelopes at the beginning. Um, I couldn't 
do much door knocking because I didn't know my way around town at all. I was also looking for work. So I was hired by Dome Petroleum, which is a whole other experience to be to have on your resume. Um, but yeah, I and I I love talking to people. So I think I spent a lot of time on the phones as well. So, But you meet so many people immediately. Yeah, especially in an election time, right? During a, a non-writ period, uh, yes. you only meet the the diehards who are on the yes. camp, who are on the boards, who are wanting to go out canvassing with the candidate or the MP MLA. So during a campaign, you meet everyone. Um, oh, I recommend. I suggest to people if you're moving somewhere new, get involved in an election campaign. And no matter what level of government, because. <laughs> It's well, provincially, it's a 20 what, 26 day red, 21 day red. You campaign all you want. If you like them, you hang out. If you don't, you're done when the <laughs> campaign's over. <laughs> so. so what made you go to Harvey? Well, I. Um, so w- did you go talk to all the candidates? To- no, I was I, I had. um I had ties to the Federal Conservative Party in Nova Scotia. So they gave me the name of Bobby Miller, who was Harvey's constituency assistant. I was staying in a hotel downtown. The International just walked down. So just, Fourth Avenue, I guess it was. So it honestly just worked out then. It just like there was yep. no other option for you. It was just Harvey. And and did when you met Harvey, were you impressed by him? Did you say this is this is someone I could actually get behind? Chris, I was a single gal man. <laughs> there was lots of single people on that campaign. OK, never mind. <laughs> I did eventually meet my husband through politics. So, <laughs> really, how'd you do the? How, how'd you meet him? We'll get back to the other story, but how? Like, you just opened uh, up a can we of were worms. at a stampede event. So that one was the John Thompson event. John Thompson was a member of Parliament for Calgary Southwest. He would have a annual stampede fundraiser at Spruce Meadows. Okay. Oh. Which is now morphed into the Heritage Park event the first Saturday of Stampede. Um, and I was there with a bunch of PC volunteers and my husband was there on a corporate ticket. And actually we didn't end up getting together that night. We exchanged phone numbers and there you go. later on. There you go. Well, <laughs> hey, that's why you were uh, you were upset when the Stampede was canceled because it has that's fond right. memories for you. Um, <laughs> Going back into politics, so after that 1979 election, um, Joe Clark wins that election. Uh, yes. uh, Harvey gets reelected into uh, uh, government. Yes. Six months later, you're back into election. Do you help back out on that campaign again, or do you find yes. another campaign? No, I'm. I, I, well, probably by then it was. I probably helped Harvey's and Jim Hawks's. Okay. Jim Hawks so, was Calgary Center? West. West. Calgary okay. West. So that was pretty neat. You know, Harvey was a cabinet minister at the time, and then Jim was the whip. So in terms of being informed, engaged as to what was going on in Ottawa, we had two of the big players right here in Calgary. Yeah. And uh, so my, my my apartment was in Calgary West. And, you know, back to 
and as you know as well, when elections happen, you just get involved. Who, who, need, who needs help? Let's go yeah. knock on doors, do whatever, and... The rest is history. But yeah. The rest is history. <laughs> so um, during this time, you, that during that six months, I'm assuming uh, you're keeping busy with your new job as well, or do you find a job yes. in this period? So what are you doing at this time? So I'm working for Dome Petroleum. Okay. I'm doing a royalty income job, which a girl from Nova Scotia. Yeah. Doesn't, you know, I have my Bachelor of Commerce, but Calgary at that time was pretty exciting. As I say, the job ad section of the Calgary Herald was bigger than the entire Calgary Herald wow. today. Yeah. Um, and, you know, our reception with uh, Bill Richards and Jack Gallagher as new employees was at the Petroleum Club. You had cookies every Friday. Like it was just it was Dome was a very exciting company to be with. And the way the industry was operating at the time was we'll give you a job if you do it well. We'll give you more rope. If you don't hang yourself, we'll give you even bigger jobs. So <laughs> my Siebens oil and gas job was, uh, Siebens was still running in the Siebens accounting system. And then eventually we brought it into the Dome accounting system. Okay. So then when um, Dome bought Kaiser, I was part of the team to bring Kaiser into the Dome accounting system. Wow. And then- um, So how long were you with Dome? Uh, 79 to 84. Because that's when you moved to Ottawa, right? Ottawa. Yes. Yeah. So was that a hard decision for you? Because you're, you're finally set up in Calgary. You finally have roots in Calgary. And now you're yeah. thinking, okay, I'm going to pick up and move to Ottawa. <laughs> well, I got married in 82. <laughs> okay. And my husband was transferred to Ottawa in 84. Oh, so it kind of worked out. It worked out very well because that was also the year of the Brian Mulroney election. So we're driving from Calgary to Ottawa. You know when you're passing constituency boundaries because the signs change, the yeah. campaign signs. So, you know, we're at some intersection in Manitoba and you know that's the corner of four constituencies because <laughs> there's four different sets of signs. So how nerdy can you be? <laughs> oh, I, I would be right there with you. I'd be probably stopping at all the campaign offices looking for political buttons. <laughs> yeah, we hadn't, I hadn't, I wasn't, I was a newlywed. We didn't need to get to Ottawa. Oh, there you go. So but what was really neat is because it was the Mulroney government, Alberta MPs were looking for staff from Alberta. Yeah. So I ended up working for Harvey Andre and briefing him for question period. Oh, wow. So uh, what was that experience working in Ottawa like? Because I've worked in the legislative, uh, the uh, Queen's Park in Ontario, and yeah. I can tell you that it, it is completely different from any other legislator, legislative that I've seen and the House of Commons. So for you, what was it like being in the hub and in a new government that is one, a massive majority? It was pretty exciting. <laughs> and, you know, and your first, I remember being interviewed and saying, I don't know if I could do this. And, I mean, the reality is I could do it. But your first thought is, I'm going to advise a cabinet minister, especially one as brilliant as Harvey Andre, how to answer questions. But you realize over time, your job is to gather information. And the other thing I brought to the table for Harvey's staff in Ottawa, and Harvey's was brilliant in the big picture items, 
is when there were proposals either going to cabinet or from his department, I brought the the ground level view. So think about if at that time, and this is the example I use, just imagine if they were going to widen 16th Avenue and tear down Peter's (laughs) drive-in. Yeah, the bureaucracy in Ottawa would say, well, it's just a hamburger joint. Where someone with the, the background idea of living in Calgary, I could say, no, don't even put that on the table. Uh, Harvey was also responsible for the Royal Canadian Mint. So we were on staff and saw the original proposals for the dollar coin, which was supposed to be a polar bear. What? I did not know oh, this. Yeah. Like there's a whole story and somewhere in my house, which maybe I'll find during this time <laughs> of isolation, <laughs> I have um, a set of the original uh, dye. Um, the dye? I'm say molds. <laughs> But I, I forget what the right word yeah. is that I need. Um, of so the, of the polar bear, bear or of the loony? It was supposed to be a polar bear coin and not a loony. But when it got sent from Ottawa to Winnipeg to get made, something got lost. So they had to change it to the loony. So he was the minister of Treasury Board then? No, Minister of Supply and Services Supply and at service. the time. Okay. And had responsibility for the Mint. And then he moved to National Defense. I was on his staff at National Defense, which was pretty neat. He was Associate Minister of National Defense when, um, I'm going to say Nelson from the North, Eric Nelson was yep. the minister. And I got to deal with what they called uh, grievances. So if you were a military member who was unhappy with how you're being treated, by the military, that file came across my desk. So that must have been uh, semi uh, uh, serendipitous because your family, your father, your mother, you saw what the Navy, you saw what the military had gone through. So you knew what these people who were filing grievances were going through at the same time. Wow. And so, you know, the department would have a briefing for the minister to make a final decision. But it was interesting to be the person that would do the briefing through to the ministers. So, uh, yeah, it was a very fortunate time to be in Ottawa. Um, The neatest day was uh, there had been some article in the newspaper about, I'm going to say the dollar coin. And I had provided the information to Harvey to answer the question. Uh, And not that Harvey needed help in answering questions. He just needed the raw material, what's being said, so he could draft his answer. Uh, But... Minister Mike Wilson got the the question, and Harvey took my briefing note and gave it to Mike Wilson. <laughs> you're, you're this kid. <laughs> well, I was, what, 25, 26 years old, and there's your answer being shared with the Minister of Finance. So I, I, I'm going to go off on a tangent here, but I, I, it's still yep. along the same lines. Um during the 80s, there weren't that many female elected members of parliament. Um, they are more female staffers, but not yes. a lot. Um, was the um, w- were the women in who were staffing, who were elected uh, sort of a family? Did they rely on each other? Because we all remember the great um, uh, I'm nobody's baby comment that Sheila Cox mm-hmm. gave out. Mm-hmm. Um but did you ever feel that from the, the people that you were working for, that 
maybe they didn't respect me because I was a woman or did you feel the respect because you were giving the best job that you had? You know, I've thought about that a lot as I watched what happened in the Alberta legislature to female MLAs after me and before me. Um, And you think about it while you're in Ottawa. And I personally wasn't aware of it. Was it that I was just dumb and didn't hear it? Or uh, someone else made the observation, you may not have got it, Linda, because you are a stronger personality. Now, I was not as strong in the 80s as I am today. Um, But that's the other aspect. Maybe I wasn't looking for it. Maybe if it happened, I didn't pay attention. I have three younger brothers. So, and physically, they're all taller than I am. Takes a bit to intimidate me. No, understandable. Yeah, I mean, I do have Flora McDonald as one of my idols. And I still think of the Flora syndrome. And I remember watching that leadership from home and being told you had support and then it not showing up at the polls. It's happened to a lot of people. Sorry, for those who don't know, the Flora syndrome is... So Flora McDonald, when she ran for leader of the federal conservative party, and I guess that was 70, 76. I was going to say under, I think against Joe Clark. Could be. Uh, people told Flora she was going to have their votes. But once the votes were ca- counted, she didn't have them. Yeah. So for about four or five years afterwards, we called that the Flora syndrome. And... People tell you to your face they're supporting you, but in the ballot box, they're not. Well, and I I think that goes for anyone now, right? In today's society, um, you can go knock on as many doors as you want and they will tell you to your face that they will vote for you. But come election day, you get defeated and you go, yep, I expected this because they tell me one thing in the to my face and then right behind me, they will go vote for somebody else. Well, we, and I don't know when you want to talk about six votes and how much we, every vote. We, we, we will get there. <laughs> so we'll pick that up. Yeah. So um, um, you're working in Ottawa. 84 is the election. You're working in Ottawa. You are in the hub of politics. I loved it. Does your husband get transferred or do you decide, I want to go back to Calgary? My husband gets transferred. Okay. Comes back to Calgary. My parents are here. His parents were in Ontario. Um, but it was a really good opportunity for him. So we come back to Calgary in 1986. I'm seven months pregnant. Oh, wow. Easiest way to move a child. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I come back. I work for Harvey for until the baby's born. So she's 10 days old. She's going to political events. Um, Our daughter, Cheryl, I don't know if you've met Cheryl over the years, but she's been active with a variety of campaigns in town. Not always the same ones as their mom, which is fine. (laughs) So do you come back and work for Harvey as a constituent assistant? Yeah, just until the baby was born. Okay. We, you know, it was, we knew I'd be taking time off afterwards. Yeah. Then when I was ready to go back to work at about a year and a, a year later, I became Jim Hawks's constituent assistant. So I, I've done a lot of political staffing <laughs> um, and did that for about a year. And then number two came and we realized at that point, two kids in the political life with my husband's job. He was with Canadian Freightways as the finance officer. 
the decision was for our household was that I'd be home with the kids. And that, that worked. That worked. And then three kids later, like. <laughs> <laughs> so you, uh, you, you, you step back from politics then. Um, but let's just talk about that being a constituent assistant, um, because yeah. it is the unsung, uh, job of any political, uh, life that you're, you, if you have a good constituent assistant, you will go far. Yes. How was it to be a con- uh, constituent assistant for a cabinet minister? Good. It was being conscious of the number of people who had the answer to solve the problem when they really didn't and being polite about it because uh, if I said no the perception was my boss was saying no and so it's making sure that you asked all the questions um, but you also had to make sure that as a gatekeeper you you didn't become too protective. And I was very fortunate with both Harvey and Jim that they were willing to meet with people. And I think that's a a big key to success of an elected representative. And I think the staffer has to remember they're the staffer and not the person whose name was on the ballot. And I think that helped me with my future experience. So, um, the one area that I want to focus on, I'm not sure if you were a constituent assistant during this time, but were you a constituent assistant during the GST issue? Um, or was that just after? GST or uh, the free, the one I remember is the free trade. Free trade? Was yes, it, was it GST. Was free, was free trade, uh, because I, like, I hear, like, I talked to a few uh, former cabinet ministers back in Ontario, uh, former, uh, like, I talked to Donald McDonald, the former uh, free trade uh, advisor, and yes. he said that in Ontario, it was a bloodbath. Like, they just despised it. Was it like that in Ontario or Alberta? Um. <sighs> My memory of it is that people had a problem with the manufacturing surtax being taken from hidden. Yeah. You know, I was supportive of the GST because it was, to me, more transparent. Yeah. Um, um, And I think the Alberta mindset electorate is more numbers based in their arguments. So you could say, look, if it remains a hidden tax, which a manufacturing tax is, they can jack it up any time. Yeah. If you're going to change the GST, everybody knows you're changing the GST. Yeah. Because at that time, Alberta had no sales tax at all. Right. right. So adding a, yeah. ta- a tax, like if today's government added a PST, it would be social suicide. So we'll have some drinks about that in about <laughs> six months, okay? <laughs> I will agree to that one. Um, it might be needed, but we'll yeah. we'll let the government of the day decide what to do. Um, so yes. <laughs> you you decide to step back from politics, have you start raising a family? Um, yeah. Are you still active in campaigns at that time, though, or are you just more worried about focused on your family? Um, I was a board member. I mean, you do the community association work, you volunteer at the church, volunteer at the nursery school, you make the Play-Doh, you make the cookies. I um, was fortunate that I lived in Jim Dinning's constituency. So I was on Jim Dinning's board. Um, You just just knew everyone, didn't you? (laughs) (laughs) Some days, yes, and some days, no. Um, So that was... You know, he taught me a lot about being a good elected representative, 
about being a straight shooter. Um, and you, you talked earlier on, you asked about what it was like to work in Ottawa. I can remember going to a dinner party one night in Ottawa and we they said just wear, you know, comfortable, casual clothes. So we wore our, our good jeans and everybody else was in dress pants. And then the other thing I think about in Ottawa compared to Calgary was in Ottawa, and this was just my experience at the time and my perception, if you screwed up, everybody talked about it. If you screw up in Calgary, they tell you to your face. Yep. I'd rather work in Calgary. I, I, so, I, I know, will like agree to that to all. What's that? I will agree to that wholeheartedly because uh, yep. Calgarians know that, you know what, they will call a spade a spade and don't care. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, you know, you you have to be a better representative staffer when that's the environment you're working with. So, yeah, I was... You know, I volunteered on boards. I know, I don't think I ever volunteered for a civic campaign. Oh, yeah, actually, I did. I mean, politics is in my blood. Yeah. I mean, we tease people at some tables at dinner. You talk sports in our house. You talk politics. So that's the way it is. So your your kids are growing up. Are you thinking about getting back into the work field at that time? Or are you comfortable staying at home, raising your children? I uh, know by the time number three um, was ready to start school, I was ready to go back to work. I mean, I did the Tupperware for, I guess, 10, 12 years, um, could set my own hours, got to network, got to explore all kinds of parts of Calgary, got to know lots of people across town. Um, and I went back to work in the car business. So when you talk about respected fields, Politicians are like second or third from the bottom, and car business people are in that same category. Oh, wow. And I worked at two different car dealerships in um, what they call business development. So I was working with the sales team from the floor on doing customer follow-up. Well, that's what politics is. That's what Tupperware was, you know? Do you like my party? Do you like my leader? Do you like my policies? Do you like our car? Do you like the color? Do you like the price? So I did that for two years. And then uh, Mr. Stelmack got elected and was looking for new staff in the Calgary office for the PC Party of Alberta. And I applied for the job. Oh, wow. What were you doing in the office? I was the Southern Alberta organizer. So um, so anything uh, south of Red Deer, I'm assuming? or yeah. Okay. Yeah, wow. the Red Deer constituencies to the borders. So um, you got to see the, Alberta firsthand then. <laughs> absolutely. And meet the lovely characters that make up Alberta. <laughs> so the big part of the job was support to the constituency associations. So going through their annual meetings, going through their fundraisers. Another part of the job was re. Um, organizing premier's dinners. So at that time, there would be a premier's dinner in Red Deer, Calgary, and Edmonton every year. And then Lethbridge and Medicine Hat would alternate years. And then Fort Murray and Grand Prairie would alternate years. Okay. So I was responsible of working with the local volunteer team to put on good dinners in Red Deer, Calgary, and whatever one in the South. So put a lot of miles on driving to Lethbridge and Medicine Hat and Red Deer. Got to know a whole lot of great people across the province. So so this is 2009, 2010-ish? Uh, 10, 11. Okay. Um, 
After Mr. Stelmack got elected. Okay, so 2000, yeah. So because he got, he got real, uh, Klein got elected in 2008. Yeah. He stepped down, um, Stelmack, no. 2008 was Stelmack. I, my, um, my, my math is so bad right now. I literally just looked yeah. this up. But anyway, so um, <laughs> do, at any time at this point, are you saying, you know what, maybe I should put my name in the hat? Or are you still saying, you know what, I'm going to no. step back? Yeah, I'm still not. Um, You're not there yet? I'm not there yet. So what was the push? Um, actually, I was thinking about it, getting ready for here. Um, while I was on staff to the PC party, I met all kinds of people who wanted to be MLAs. And of course, they make perfect cabinet ministers in whatever field that they have expertise. And as they leave, I think... I'd be a better MLA. I do a better job connecting with people. So I watched the uh, 2008 election go. So I was on staff then. Okay. So that's the first Stelmac one because then he, re- yeah. I think he retired in 10. Yeah, could be. 11. Yeah. 11 because 11. Redford was 11. Okay. So, um, and I'm still on staff still on staff and then as we go into the Redford leadership am I still on staff because I, I'm I, getting more and more itchy I was gonna say because I and did I did look at your LinkedIn profile before this and I usually don't I usually try and get all the comments from you personally <laughs> but it does say that you were on a you you helped out on a leadership campaign well, that was Gary Mars. But because, okay. Oh, right. It was Gary Mars. Yes, because Gary Mars and Redford. So, so I think what had happened was, oh, um, <laughs> now I'm living in Calgary, Glenmore, who elects Paul Hinman. In 2009. When Ron Stevens steps down. Yep. So the weekend Ron Stevens steps down, I'm on staff to PC Alberta. I'm thinking... Do I run in the by-election? But that wasn't quite part of the plan with the kids at home. And was I mentally armor ready to run? And I don't run in that by-election because I would have had to quit my job as PC Alberta. So yeah, the calendar is coming through now. Okay. Um, and the PCs lose that by-election. And they, they place third in that by-election. Yes. That was a night I cried too. <laughs> you know? I would too, because you yeah. at that that election you have a sitting Calgary City Councilor who runs for that position. Yes. So this is like like worst case scenario for the PCs. But back to door knocking. Yep. And. Um, the sense at the doors were that was that we were going to lose. Oh, really? So you had a yeah. you had an understanding that you know what? Didn't expect to be number three. Okay, especially to the yeah. liberals and yes, yeah, yes. that's like yeah, shocking. Yeah. So after that, there's some variety of fundraisers going on across the city, and I do remember the night that people were fundraising for different constituencies. I'm at the University of Calgary at a social. And I put my thumbtack in the map of Calgary Glenmore and say, I'm going to run in Calgary Glenmore. And I don't make a donation to Calgary Glenmore Constituency Association that night. Because there was always the, 
lawyer that's going to run. Yeah. There's always the guy with the ties to this ethnic community that's going to run. There's always this better candidate than you, Linda. And I'm thinking, damn it. You know, we've brought our three kids up in this community. They all, all their schools are here. Our church is here. My doctor's here. My grocery store's here. Like, you know, everyone and their mother. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so at that point, I thought, if someone's good, I'm going to go for it. And I did have conversations with someone that was thinking about running. And he said, I'll let you know. And he never let me know. And then we get into the Gary Marr campaign. And I, again, I see all these people coming and going who think they'll be good MLAs. And I think, I'd be a damn good MLA. So after that, I said, I'm going to do it. And so I did. So was it a nominated contest, uh, nominated race? Yes. So a, a contested nomination, sorry. So yeah. how many were in the nomination? Do you remember? Two of us. So just you, was it the other gentleman that said he was thinking about it? No, wait till I tell you who it was. Who was it? Byron Nelson. No. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I, I've had a lot of interactions with a lot of people in the political world in Alberta. Byron Nelson. Wow. I haven't heard that name since the leadership campaign. Yep. Wow. So. Do, Ask me how many I won by. I was going to say, do you know? Because usually it's a secret ballot, but do you know how many you won by? 12 votes. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it was cold. Oh, I remember how cold it was that night. And the, the PC party had very strict rules about whether you could be in the hall or not. And I'm standing. The, the committee had measured out how many feet away from the door. I'm in my husband's. We call them the snowmobile boots. They were so big and thick. And, uh, yeah, it was a cold, cold night. But... Um, you know, my get get out the vote team um, came through, and I won the nomination. Now, at the time, here here's the we didn't know if Paul him well Paul Hemmen did run. The other person that was thinking about running, and I'm going to say his name was Craig, and it began with a C. The liberal candidate that lived in Lakeview, Craig. Uh, doesn't I yeah. na- name's not coming to me. So the constituency um, Lakeview used to be an elbow, and then it came back to Glenmore. But there was a previous MLA of the Liberal Party living in Lakeview that was thinking about running as well in the 2012 election. Okay. So I would have been running against two former MLAs. Yeah. So you. You don't put your name forward unless you don't think you're going to win, right? Because you want to win. If if yes, you put you your name if you put your name forward and you the moment you like the if you just put your name forward to lose, then there's no point of running. So Correct. you put your name forward and you you probably went out there and knocked every door, shook yes. every hand, kissed every baby yes. during yes. that campaign period. Yes, absolutely. That campaign, you have a new leader now. You have Alison yes. Redford as the new leader. Going yes. into that campaign, polls are not showing good things for the PCs. 
and they're not showing good things for Calgary Glenmore either. Oh, I did not. Okay, so yeah, so you like it is a uphill battle for you because yes. you're you're going against a sitting MLA, Paul Hinman, yes. the leader of his party, yes. um, and you're going against a well, former former leader of his party because at that time Danielle was the leader. Oh, that's right. He 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 had combined with the Wildrose. That's right. So yeah, former leader of his party. A sitting MLA, a former sitting MLA. Yeah. How did you win this? How did you get out there and knock every door and just keep your spirits up? I'm assuming you had everyone and every cousin, brother, sister <laughs> come out and help you. I was very fortunate. I had a really, really good team with me. And because I had this grassroots connection to the party and community, people knew me. So... You know, even Tupperware com- customers. And, and, you know, I took some teasing about being a Tupperware cu- a sales lady. But if I could sit in your kitchen and have a conversation about how you feed your family and how you take care of your family, it showed some personal ability. Um, uh, the two other things that happened during 2012 campaign is uh, the all Lake of Fire comments helped me. Okay. Mr. Hinman was on the no meat committee. So that helped my campaign. And then the other thing that happened was, um, Oh no, I think it was the, yeah, the lake of fire and the no meat just blew his campaign up or imploded his campaign. It just created doubts. What created doubts? What was the reception at the door when you were talking to people? The first two weeks were cold. So most people didn't want to talk to you, probably. (laughs) And I think the other thing that happened that campaign, which I still believe is a key, is um, performance during leaders' debates. So unfortunately, Miss Redford lost her mom during that election campaign. And she did a wonderful job in the leader debate. She held her own. She showed she cared for Alberta. I mean, our message was um, personal care networks, education, health care. Calgary Glenmore has the Rocky View Hospital in it. It has yeah. 23 schools. Like, it, those were things that resonated with the electors at Calgary Glenmore. And um, so as the provincial campaign possibility changed, it helped me on the ground. And then I just, I had a good good ground game as well. Did you, election night that night, were you, uh, I mean, I, you, of course you would be happy that you won, but yeah. when you saw your name with a little check mark beside it or the little star that you've been elected, what is your first thought? I suspect it was hard to believe. <laughs> And you look at the team and you kind of say, we did it. Yeah. So were you in your campaign office at the time? Because usually parties have like a central location for larger urban centers. They did have a central location and we didn't go. We stayed in our part of town um, because I just I wanted to be available to the volunteers that were coming in from the voting location. And we ended up over at our campaign headquarters was in the Brick Plaza. Okay. And we ended up going over to Jack Astor's for the party. And they had been very good to us during the campaign. And to me, that was part of being a grassroots MLA. Like, these are the people that marked the ballot for me. So hang out, 
in your part of town. Um, do you take calls from your former uh, MPs that you've worked for at that time, or are they uh, silent during this whole time? Do you get like? Be, I'm not sure if Harvey had passed away at that time. Did he? No, Harvey didn't pass till after I was in the legislature because I read the tribute to him in that's, the legislature. That's what I'm, yeah. So did you get a call from him, or did you call uh, him up and say, "What do I do now"? <laughs> no, because by then the federal and provincial parties are pretty separate. They were together years ago. Yeah. By then, there's there more separation, um, and I've just been fortunate. I had good friendships across all levels, so. It was just, oh, my God, what have I done? (laughs) So people usually get into politics for one reason or another. It's either to solve uh, issue X, issue Y, issue Z. What was your issue? What was your issue that drove you to say, you know what, I can do it? It can't just be, you know what, I, I, I would make a good MLA. I want to give back to the community or I want to make sure this happens. What was your issue? Um... Well, I'm going to disagree a little bit in that I felt I could be a well-rounded MLA. Too many candidates have just one issue. Okay. And when you have 55,000 people living in your constituency and Calgary Glenmore, you know, 23 schools, big hospital, big tourist attraction. We also have the ring road. Someone from the community had to be talking about that and paying attention to that issue to get something done because that's what the community was asking for. So I I got into it for the community. Once I was there, I spent a lot of time on the adult literacy file. Okay. Uh, And we still... It's such an underreported issue in Canadian society, the number of people that have been educated in Canada that don't have proper reading, writing, and and financial skills, that um, anything we can do in terms of our programming, that was my... I could talk about adult literacy programming for another hour and a half. Hey, we can do we can do that on a separate podcast. (laughs) So tell me, talk me through that moment when you walked on the ledge floor for the first time. I was sad my mom wasn't there. Okay. My mom had passed in 2010 and uh, my dad was there. Family friends were there. I carried her Bible and my mom was um, um, a crafter, so she did that plastic canvas stuff that I'm sure it's your grandmother that does. But I had her Bible that she had made the cover on, and that's what I got sworn in on was using wow. my mom's Bible. Wow. Yeah. So you had a little yeah. piece of her with you. I did, yeah. Uh, during your uh, time as an MLA, uh, were there issues that you heard from constituents that you went, I didn't expect to hear this? Were those were there some unknown issues that you thought, I, I know Calgary Glenmore. I know what the major issues are. I know what the personal issues are. And then that one constituent would come in and say, I need you to advocate for this. And you go, oh, I didn't think about this. So you were always learning. So what were those issues that you were always learning from your constituents? Oh, so many um the big one that comes to mind that was early and you always feel that i don't know if i ever solved that one was uh children aging out of the care system so um and i suspect it still hasn't been solved properly um a big issue at the time was not enough family doctors 
Another issue, as you think of today's environment, was the care of seniors and that uh, families couldn't get their family members in a, a a close by senior facility. So I remember a lady going into the Christmas week saying, my dad's um, in a facility in Northeast Calgary. My mom's in a, Cal- a facility in the Southeast. Like there's no quality life for either one of them or for me to give them the support that they need. So it was, you know, those individual personal issues were harder to deal with because it wasn't a policy discussion. You could go to the minister, you could find kindred spirits in the caucus to say, this has got to be an issue in your constituency too. How do we approach it and get a proper solution? So um, that part of it, you have days when you drive by someone's house and say, oh, I wonder how they did solve that because you don't know once you leave the office. Yeah. Um, Um, And the big issue that was unexpected for me, and I'll be honest about it, was Bill 10. Really? It was never, it never came up at the doors. No one ever came into my constituency office. No one ever brought it up at a town hall meeting. And I like to think of myself as an approachable person and an approachable MLA. We would door knock. We would have the town hall meetings. I had regular constituency meetings. And people did not bring it up to me until the legislation came forward. And... You have days where you think, what was I missing? Who was I not relating to? Who was I not reaching out to in community? Who did I hurt unintentionally through all of this? Uh, But that was, so I I had some initial, some initial, uh, initially set back that I was being accused of being a bad person when no one told me that they were having a problem. Yeah. And, and they hadn't asked for my help beforehand. And, and we've only talked over Facebook, and I can tell you right now, you are not a bad person. You are an amazing person. So even in our 50-minute conversation so far, I, 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 you are personable, and I think that people can just open up to you. So I, I don't see that as an issue. But I know Bill 10 was an issue that was so controversial across this province once it was introduced, and it wasn't beforehand. But what, right. So it, it just sort of like a light switch came on and everyone had an opinion at that time Um, during your term you go Mm -hmm. through three premiers you go through Redford Hancock Hancock. Prentice Um, what was it like to serve under three leaders and being in a such a turbulent era during the PC government 44 years and you are now in a unknown vacuum here (laughs) Well, I was fortunate that I was chair of Calgary Caucus through all three of them, too. Yep. <laughs> so I got to sit in meetings that a bunch of other people didn't get to sit in. Um, and I had days where I was frustrated in that politics 101. Listen to your electors. Listen to the people who voted you in. Listen to what their issues are. These conversations we're having do not relate to mom and dad 
pizza operator, special needs kids in the school. So where I got frustrated is it was taking so much energy and passion away from bread and butter issues as to how to make this province a better place to live. It just, that part of it was very frustrating for me. At the same time, by being chair of Calgary Caucus, you needed to remain somewhat neutral. So I was driving highway to south when Premier Redford was making her decision in the legislature that she was stepping down as leader to meet with the Calgary Constituency Association presidents. I brought to the table my experience from the party and my position as Calgary Caucus Chair to listen and hear what their concerns were. So um, it was a, a, a lesson in reminding you to pay attention to what is important which I think positioned me for the 2015 election. Well, and that's what we're going to get to now. Um, uh, The late Jim Prentice, premier at the time, um, decides he's going to introduce a budget and then go to the uh, uh, ballots, go to the go call call an election. Um, You had just uh, nine Wild Rose members had just crossed. You were a unified party. Polls were looking semi good for the party at the time. The Wild Rose were sort of shrinking because they were just going through a leadership race. You get to the you you go and a year earlier than anticipated. Let's talk about the 2015 election because it is the uh, six vote matters uh, issue for you. (laughs) When you started that campaign, what was the attitude on the uh, ground? Tough. The doors were tough. Worse than 2012. Uh, In 2012, who are you? You Okay. So at least they knew who you were this time. They knew who I was this time. Uh, In 2015, they didn't understand the early election call. And I personally disagreed with it as well. We had won the four by-elections the fall before. The public, so the non-political people, perceived that as a mandate. They didn't understand why we needed a mandate. So that was a check against. Um, The Conservatives were very upset that it wasn't a tough enough budget. And I mean, I could, if I could replay, um, you know, I could tell you what the cuts were to uh, to education and, and health. So back to, it's a constituency with 23 schools. Uh, We don't need new schools in Calgary Glenmore, but the grandparents, their kids needed new schools in Southeast Calgary. We have healthcare workers in Calgary Glenmore. So they were all aware of what the PC party was saying and the NDP were saying. So very clear understanding in the electorate. And then Bill 10 didn't help. Bill 10 came up at the doors. Thankfully, we had a deal on the ring road. Um, I don't, you know, but they were still, again, discontent with that about the route and the construction and will it go ahead. It became a secondary issue in 2015. And then we just, um, it was six votes. Ask me who was my get out the vote person on election day. If you say Byron Nelson again, I will laugh. But who was it? Whitney Isaac. Really? Yes, the, MLA for Calgary Glenmore. Well, look at that, serendipitous. Um, yes. 
that first initial th- thought of, okay, our biggest competition in this election is not the NDP, it's not the Liberals, it's going to be the Wild Rose, because the Conservatives will split and they will go to the uh, Wild Rose. Did you think that, or did you did you know that the NDP were going to be the biggest obstacle? Because, like you said, leadership debates matter, and the yeah. turning point in that election was the debate. Yes. Um, That's when you saw the seismic shift to the NDP. You knew that. What I was still seeing on the ground was anger with the PCs and the Wild Rose about the merger. Oh. On both sides. Really? Both parties were upset. So you used the phrase a few minutes ago about unified parties. The parties were not unified. Well, you had a bigger caucus. You had a unified caucus in some sense. Uh, I, I spoke to your former colleague, Thomas Lukasik, and he had some yeah. choice words for it. And he he said it was not a unified decision. So um, I can I, I can admit that probably in that caucus room when that those nine crossed the floor, it was a little bit of a uh, challenge. Yeah. But I, I, I would assume that when you went out to the public, you had the leader of the Wild Rose, now a PC, you wouldn't be unified. You, you would have to be unified, but I guess not. No. And I'm uh, sorry, there's some, there's noise in the background. So I'm just sending a text to ask my housemates to turn down the music. <laughs> well, I can't hear it. So don't worry. <laughs> oh, OK, good. Um now, where it had an impact was volunteer resources on the ground. Oh, wow. Yep. You know, I remember knocking at a guy's door. He says, Jim Prentice has been in my home. I'm not voting for your party. I'm so upset with what's happened. And you'd have it from people on the who, who I knew. They just, they weren't coming. They were staying home. Oh, wow. So, and I used okay. to know the numbers, but I don't right now. So election night happens, May oh, May God. May 2015. Yes. What was your, like before the even count started? What was your thought going into it? Well, when you look on it, the last PC event, the second last PC event was we had a rally with Jim Prentice the night before. And he's saying to me, Linda, get out. Continue knocking on doors. You got to get the votes. Um, and but the I can remember one day they took me off the doors because I was so frustrated. Oh wow! I was tired. I knew it wasn't going well. But you keep working hard because you believe that you're the right person for the job. You believe that what you've done and how you've helped people. But we had um, we had an example of. Someone walking up to my campaign team and saying, Linda, you did such a good job solving this problem for me. And my door knocking person said, so Linda can count on your vote? No, I'm voting for the NDP. Wow. So the numbers came in for other constituencies that election night a whole lot faster. I'm home. You know, the campaign manager is very clear. Don't come to headquarters until we know the results. But you can just see people falling across the province. And this one's being defeated, and that one's being defeated. And I'm thinking, I gotta be with my volunteers. I gotta go to headquarters. Because no matter what happens in Calgary Glenmore, we know these other people that are losing. And we're all in, we're in shock, uh, we're hurting. Um, so I go over to headquarters, and I, and so, yeah, you wait and wait and wait. and. 
Calgary Glenmore comes in tied. <laughs> Literally tied, if I'm not mistaken. Like it was like correct seven thousand twenty one to seven thousand twenty one. Like it was. No, I think it was seven thousand fifteen or sixteen. That's right. Too. Yeah. So. Um, so I have the Elections Canada book right here. <laughs> elections Alberta book, if you want. <laughs> so what's your initial thought? You're like, OK, w- w- like, I don't know what the future holds now. Election, they, they right. uh, people aren't calling my riding. It's the only riding that's not being called. And now I'm stuck in limbo for the next few days. Oh, you're stuck in limbo a lot longer. Oh, really? Uh, so the election day was Tuesday. Uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, the elections Alberta staff in Calgary, Glenmore, recount the ballots. So there were 21,000 ballots cast, and the Calgary, Glenmore returning officer recounts them all one by one. Oh, geez. Yeah. Um, I have to put together a crew to scrutiny. I had the returning officer. What do they call it? Official agent. Yep. She's available. She's a lawyer by training. Uh, she's available. Um, people are calling me with advice. Um, other people, you know, Thomas Lukasik, he won once by three after a recount. Um, other people are calling me saying, get this lawyer involved, get that lawyer involved. I go to a lawyer that I've known for 30 years in Calgary who has experience with federal recounts, get his advice. You can't take pictures of ballots. You can't touch ballots. I can't be in the room. So we're briefing two people away, um, my scrutineers, to make notes on this batch ballot marked this way this batch ballot marked that way returning officer considered it a yay or a nay for the pc or the ndp candidate um so we have these crazy handwritten notes about which ballots which ballots are in question so by friday we're five six votes behind five votes behind five or six must be six because then I have a majority <laughs> majority um, so then I have to go and make the decision whether I ask for a judicial recount so that gets into the legislation how do you pay for it because is, it, it, am, is the party helping you at this time well the, car, the party's in turmoil yep because they've just lost. And the leader has just officially said he's not sitting. Yes. Um, and we have a change in staff. So I have conversations with different people. I get different advice. I get different messages of support. Um, but in the end, um, Myself and the campaign team and this lawyer I involved, uh, we pursue the judicial recount. And I actually what happened, someone reached out to me and said, Linda, here's here's a donation to help pay for the recount. So when people are coming me to me to pay for the recount, to help pay for the recount, you have to consider it. I have another friend who lost a municipal election by less than 300 votes, and her advice was, Linda, you've got to go for the recount because 
you'll always question yourself whether you should have or not, especially with this six vote margin. So then how do you raise money? Because technically in the um, the way the legislat- financial legislation is written, if people have already donated to Calgary Glenmore, how do they help the Calgary Glenmore candidate? So we were able to have people donate to PC Alberta who help support. Okay. Yeah. So it, they helped. Yes. Do you, do you look back on that time? And I'm going to ask the major question here in a second. Do you look back on it and say, you know what? I did the right thing asking for the ju- judicial recount. Yes, absolutely. With six votes. And, you know, I took some negative uh, feedback on social media about it. But the analogy we used was it's a replay in hockey. So we have replays for goals all the time. We have replays for um, penalties. It was a replay. Six votes. You got it. You have to ask the question. Yeah. And, And now the major question How does it feel to be defeated by six votes? Really, really tough. Um, And it's been a process. Um, There's the whole partisan reaction, and respectfully, I know where where your loyalties are. You do not know where my loyalties are. Oh, okay. I I, I will be completely blunt. I, I voted for Ricardo. Okay. I I was a Richard Starkey fan. Well, there you go. There I, uh, you go. And I'm a Richard Starkey fan as well. I, I'm a, I, I, I had a membership in the PC party. Oh, wonderful. Yep. Yeah. So you, um, you go through, you don't know if it was at a door, whether they were upset that I supported the ring road. Were they upset that I didn't take a strong enough stand on Bill 10? Or did they ask something of the MLA's office that I couldn't do? And they still held it against me. Yeah. So you had to go through that. My moment of clarity came, and this is before I was ready to move on else. It's a very lonely way to lose an election because when everyone else was packing up their offices, I wasn't. So when I went up to pack up my office, I was by myself. I didn't oh. run into anybody. And people just, were moving into their new offices. Yeah, um, but um, I I got my inspiration from Olympians. So when you think of a speed skater, a skier, they lose by seconds. So when you think about all that training, all that effort, and you come second by a hair, point two five of a second, I thought if they can do it and get up in the morning. I can find a way to get up in the morning. Now, um, I, I regretfully admit that I ran federally in 2015 for the now, I don't like to say their name, Red Party. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I am no longer affiliated with that party if my life depended on it. Um, but after my election, I, I was defeated, of course. <laughs> I, a Red Party in Alberta, not going to happen, especially in the North Alberta. Um People came up to me and said, oh, I voted for you. Oh, I voted for you. Oh, I voted for you. Did you get that? (laughs) No, I didn't get, I voted for you. I got, I didn't vote NDP. Oh, yeah. I didn't vote NDP. Yeah. 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 
Uh, what really hurt was actually a personal friend who I had helped personally and even politically over the years didn't vote for me because she didn't like Mr. Prentice. And I looked at her and I said, when you have an issue, it's not Jim Prentice that solves it. It's not Jim Prentice that carries that file. It's Linda Johnson. Yeah. So that, on that level, it really hurt. Um, people, oh, my vote doesn't count. Um, well, I'm sorry it does. And I, you know, if we were sitting in a coffee shop, I would say, look, take those three other tables. You'd have a different result in Calgary Glenmore. Yep. And then I think it took about a year, about a year and a half, when I realized losing by six votes was actually a win when you looked at how some of my other colleagues lost by their margins. So you think of cabinet ministers. So when I ran civically, people say, well, you're just a PCMLA. I said, but I only lost by six votes. People liked how I did my job. Yeah. So, you know, but that was a long time getting to that point. You, you brought it up. We'll, we'll mention it. Um, you decided to run in the 2017 municipal yeah. 2017 municipal election. Yeah. After being defeated by six votes, you, are you thinking, OK, this this I, I have to be able to win this? Or are you working it like you worked every other election that you've worked in your life, knocking on every door, uh, talking to every person that will let you talk to them? Or was it a different attitude that you had to put on because it's not uh, party politics anymore? It's just Linda Johnson. It's not Linda Johnson, the PC candidate. It's yeah. Linda Johnson, the Calgary candidate. And it took a while for me to find my voice. OK. And I'm glad I ran for Civic because it helped me find my voice in being clear as to why I'm doing what I'm doing and why I have the opinion that I have. Um, I didn't realize how reliant I personally was on the party platform. But in hindsight, if you're a staffer and then you run, you know the party talking points for years. So um, I think that hindered me probably in my first four weeks at the doors. The other thing was I waited too long to get started. We, um, uh, my husband and I had decided for our 35th wedding anniversary we were going to Europe doing one of those European cruises. Thank heavens we did it um, and came back. And it wasn't, I didn't get out the doors until the first of June. And the eventual winner had been at the doors probably for six, seven months beforehand. So it all played. And is there politics in the future for Linda Johnson? Because in, in your at Calgary Herald article that you there's a quote that says, I will always have a heart for politics or something along that lines. So <laughs> is politics in the future for Linda? Uh, probably not as the candidate. You know, I'm um, I'm over 60 now. <laughs> I don't know if my knees would take that amount of door knocking. I always say yes when people call and ask for a coffee to talk about politics. Uh, but I am at the point now I will, to your point, be working for candidates and not for parties. So, so I'm, I'm still good friends with Jackie Fenske. Jackie needs help. I will help Jackie. I am trying to get her on the show. We we were trying to lock down, down a date and time because she has an interesting story as well, probably. 
She does indeed. Um, and, uh, you know, um, we have good friends that are active with the Liberal Party federally. I would not uh, be active in their campaign but if my friend was running yeah i would find ways to support my friend yeah and i i like ricardo and i i told ricardo after i came back from the ballot box in the last election i spoiled my ballot i i know i i, I went out and voted but i spoiled my ballot yeah i couldn't vote for any of them i could not it was hard because yeah. n- none of them earned my vote not one person showed up at my door and i think that's what's wrong with campaigns today they are relying too heavily on social media but to that point how do you get to every door so like not even a camp okay go ahead provincially there's 55,000 electors so I don't know is it 30,000 doors the odds of me being at your door at the time that you're willing to chat with me and when it comes to the wards ward 11 is Calgary Glamour Calgary Elbow and Calgary Acadia like I don't know how you get to every door. Oh, and, and I completely understand. My my point is, I didn't even see a, a volunteer like campaign worker. I didn't oh, get okay. a phone call. I got like nothing in the mail. Like they, there was no outreach at all. Yeah, and then the other thing you run into, which um, happened in Ward Eleven, because we had four credible candidates. Really, when it came down to it, yeah, um, there was only so much money. So we had planned on a, a leaflet drop to every door, but we didn't spend money till it came in the door. Yeah. No. And so you reach your point, you do your analysis and say, I'm going to spend my time here, here, here and here. And um, yeah, that's to me what's the two things unfortunate about politics that we've touched on is the conversation between people of different uh, frames of reference. Uh, we did have some of that in 2012. I mean, Darren Billis would come to dinner with the PCMLAs. You know, we had conversations. Mm. And you didn't get looked down upon for having that. Uh, my sense today is you can't have that. No. And I think the other challenge we have today is people are campaigning sooner and sooner for nomination. And I kept working. I thought there was as much credibility in working and uh, being aware of what's going on through a business lens as there was to be out campaigning. And I think there's a, I don't know how you answered that one because you can't, you know, I know the power of getting to every door. Yeah. And with uh, with everything going on in the world, we're, we're literally coming into an election year next year. And like it's, a year and a bit away from us with COVID-19 candidates can't do that anymore. They cannot nope. start early. They are stuck at home and they're trying to find ways. And I, you see people already announcing that they're going to be running for the municipal election. So I, I give them credit because they're trying to get out there early, trying to get their name recognized, but it is a new world and uh, politics has drastically changed since in, in five years, I would say. Yes. Yeah. 
It really has. But some of that, we also see that in um, other aspects of life and other aspects of community, you know, how schools are operated, how people interact with school administration, how they interact in, in the sporting world. So it's, you know, hopefully this time of reflection, society will get softer, softer, kinder with each other. So uh, my, my last question to you is this. If your son, your daughter, a family friend came to you and said, I'm thinking about running for politics, what would your advice be to them in today's society? Go for it. Really? Yeah. Even though you know how politicians are treated, how how much demand it is on family time, you'd say just go for it? I would. I, I would say to them, make sure you know why you're doing it. Make sure you're doing it because your heart and your gut says do it. Don't do it because all kinds of people are saying to do it. Make sure in your heart of hearts you're doing it right. And just think of the number of people you're going to meet. Chris, you and I and Ricardo, would we ever have the depth of conversations we had if we didn't meet each other through politics? No, exactly. And I, uh, my my father always joked that uh, most boys grew up with pictures of like race cars on their like uh, their walls. I grew up with pictures of prime ministers and premiers and going out and going to bookstores to buy biographies, and that was my fun time. So politics to me has always been interesting, and I always find it fascinating when I talk to politicians and former politicians. Oh, <laughs> someone's waving. Sorry, at just, I can hear them talking behind. Oh, Sorry no that. worries. Um, I always find it interesting. Um, what people would give advice to potential politicians in the future. And when you said go for it, it's true. You, you, yeah. you, you just got to. You, what's the worst that can happen? You can lose, right? Well, and I had talked myself out of running in 2012 and we were at dinner with friends of ours who, well, we were at their wedding. They were at our wedding. And and he turned to me, Dan turned to me and he says, Linda, from the day I met you, you've loved politics. He said, on your deathbed, you'll be sorry if you don't do this. Yeah. And I thought, you know, he's right. So, you know, you just, it was a, you know, just my time in Ottawa was fascinating. My time on party staff with the Stelmac years was fascinating and all the rise of the wild rose to be elected in 2012 and defeated in 2015 is fascinating times in Canadian and Alberta's history. So, um, and you, you don't appreciate it until you left how much you know about, you learn about different things. So I sat on one committee and learned about fungus in wheat. Like, who would have thought? But you learn about fungus and wheat. I learn about the Glenmore Reservoir. I learn about water management. It just, you know, um, uh, mussels. What are the the something mussels that are coming to across Canada? Oh, zebra mussels. Zebra mussels. Like, I used to be able to talk about those. Yeah. And then back to the people you meet, whether it's your fellow elected across all party uh, fields or the people you meet in the neighborhood. Like you just it's it's fascinating and I still love it. OK, you, you, you edged one more question out of me. You, you, you loved it. Do you regret any of it? Yeah, there's one day I regret that I didn't do I did A instead of B, and um, 
it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. You are the person you are because of the decisions you make at the time of yes. of that. So, Linda, I want to thank you very much for this. Uh, this has been enlightening. I hope it's been for you. I, I've I've gathered so much from you, and I I feel like I've just like ripped the surface, and I haven't even got to the meat and bones of it. And we will talk about adult education education here in a, at a future date as well. Um, but thank you very much for this. Thank you very much again. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure. again thank you to our guest for coming in and sitting down today it was greatly appreciated as i've said in the introduction this podcast is about having a conversation i learned a lot in this interview and i really hope you did too this podcast couldn't have happened without our listeners from here in alberta to across canada and around the world i want to take this moment and thank everyone for listening to this podcast If you haven't already, be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. The links are in the show notes. Or visit our website at www.crossborderinterviews.ca. We will be back here next Saturday with another great episode of the Cross Border Interview Podcast. This podcast is produced and owned by Miranda Brown and Associates. I'm your host, Christopher Brown. Once again, have a safe and hopefully talkative week.